are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. Here's Nate. Well, I can remember it like it was yesterday, that moment in my life where I began to personally experience and sense that God, by his Holy Spirit, was calling me into some kind of ministry here on earth. I didn't know all of the details. I didn't know exactly what the Lord was going to do in or through my life. But I can remember like it was yesterday, that moment when I began to first sense that God wanted to use my life. And in 1 Samuel chapter 3, we get to observe the intensely personal and wonderful call of God upon a young man named Samuel. Now, Samuel, of course, is uh, was the son that was given as a fulfillment of God's promise to a woman with a barren womb, a woman named Hannah. And this godly woman then donated her son. It was a vow she had made to the Lord. She donated her son to the priesthood so that he might serve God for the entirety of his life. And so Samuel grew up there in the tabernacle. He had a little miniature garment, linen type of garment that he would wear, looking the part of a priest, learning from Eli and serving the Lord faithfully. But he really, at this point, had only really known the voice of his mother and the voice of Eli, but he'd yet to really know of the voice of God. And so here in 1 Samuel chapter 3, God is going to call this young man and commission this young man and begin to use him as a prophetic figure in the nation of Israel. That's why verse 1 is the backdrop of the entire chapter. It says, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And so we have the setting, the the statement regarding the spiritual state of Israel during Samuel's childhood. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And what this means, of course, is not that uh, the word of the Lord was rare in the sense of uh, divinely inspired written testimony from God, uh, but it was rare in the sense that there were, weren't many prophetic words that were being freshly uttered to the nation. Not that any of these prophetic words would ever go above and beyond the revealed word of God, but from time to time, it would be appropriate for a, a fresh, alive prophetic message to come along in order to not contradict the revealed word of God, but to exhort people to keep the revealed word of God. And uh, Samuel was going to be a man who would be used greatly by the Lord to speak the word of the Lord and to speak frequent visions from the Lord. It says in Proverbs 28, or 29 verse 18, that where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. Unfortunately, 
I've heard so many quote Proverbs 29 verse 18 to back up the idea that we should have vision and mission statements for the different ministries and things that God has called us to uh, in uh, our lives, even personal mission and vision statements that we might have in our lives. And of course, I don't personally believe that there is anything wrong with a church vision or mission statement or even a personal vision or mission statement. I actually operate with both of those in my own life personally. But Proverbs 29 verse 18 has nothing to do with a vision statement or declaring the mission that you sense God is calling you to be about. What it's speaking of is the lack of fresh prophetic emphasis and dynamic powerful, applicational preaching of the word of God. And when that is not happening, when there aren't those messengers for the church or in history in the nation of Israel, what the proverb says is that in general, you'll find that people will cast off restraint. There's something terrible about a lack of the fresh deliverance of the word of God. Uh, this speaks of the importance of the fresh communication of God's word. And so in Israel, no one was really communicating the word of God in that fresh, strong kind of way. And I believe that when there is a famine for the word of God, as the Lord said in Amos chapter 8, when there's a famine for the word of the Lord, it's a dire situation for God's people. Uh, we've got to have as much of the word of the Lord as possible. But Samuel was ministering to the Lord during an era where the word of the Lord, frankly, was very rare. There was no frequent vision, according to this first verse. Now, at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So we've already seen the national backdrop there in Israel amongst God's people, but, but now we have really some insights and a little bit of more the personal backdrop uh, in, in which Samuel was called. First, you have the high priest Eli his eyesight had begun to grow dim, it tells us in verse 2. We learn later in chapter 4 that uh, he would eventually go completely blind. And this is interesting because, of course, there has to be a picture here. Eli is fading off of the scene. Uh, as a prophetic figure, he is no longer a seer for the nation. He's no longer one who people would look to to receive insight and physically, his eyesight is dimming, just as his spiritual eyesight has been dimming uh, as well. And his lamp would eventually go completely out. The second thing that's interesting here is not regarding Eli, but the lamp of God. It says in verse 3 that the time frame of this call of God upon Samuel's life was at the moment when the lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So an interesting statement here 
that the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Now, to be fair, it's possible that all the writer is attempting to communicate is that there would be a moment, of course, in the nighttime when the priests would resupply the lampstand with oil. But early in the morning, before they had a chance to refill it again, the oil would burn out, the lamp of God would go out, and then in the morning they would re-enter and they would refill the oil and the lamp would be lit uh, for the rest of that day until the oil ran out and they resupplied the oil again in the evening. And so if that's the case, then all this is attempting to say is that this is late into the evening, perhaps even into the early morning when God begins to speak to Samuel. But there is the possibility that this lamp was actually supposed to burn 24-7 and that it was the responsibility of the priests to make sure that the flame was never extinguished. And here it seems that it be had become normal for on a regular nightly basis, the lamp of God to go out. And what we know of Hophni and Phinehas, the young men who were serving as the priests there in the tabernacle, what we know of them is that they were self-centered, selfish men. They weren't willing to serve with any kind of sacrifice. So it's very possible that these men just got tired of lighting the lamp when no one was around. And if that's the case, then we should say like this, there is a wonderful place for secret obedience. Who cares if no one sees? God sees. And these sons of Eli, in their potential private disobedience, that disobedience, which I'm sure began in private, eventually ended up very public, as we saw there in 1 Samuel chapter 2. But on the contrary, when we pray in secret, when we give in secret, when we fast in secret, our Father who sees in secret will reward us openly, according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. The lamp should truly never go out. But that was the time frame that God began to speak to Samuel. Then, verse 4, the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. So this is the first time that God has ever spoken to Samuel. A very unique uh, Old Testament kind of picture there, uh, where the audible voice of God would be heard by his prophets. And so the Lord audibly speaks to Samuel. And Samuel, not being accustomed to hearing the Lord's voice, just assumes that it's his master, Eli. And so he goes to Eli, and Eli lets him know, listen, I didn't call you, go lie down again. And the Lord, verse 6, called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So God calls to Samuel again, and again the same scene unfolds. Eli says to him, listen, I didn't call you. 
you know, go back to sleep. But, but here we have this interesting editorial note that tells us in verse 7 that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Here he is in the tabernacle. The word of the Lord is yet to be revealed to him. He's yet to really know the Lord in a personal, intimate, experiential kind of way. Yet there he is serving the Lord, going about the functions of a priest, learning what it means to operate in the priesthood. You know, there was a love for the Lord within his heart. There was a desire to serve the Lord. There was a willingness to be consecrated unto the Lord. But he'd yet to really experience the Lord in that personal way. And in that, I think, is a beautiful picture of what it means to have devotion before the experience of relationship occurs with the Lord. I think that this can happen in dry seasons of life, where it seems as if we're not hearing the Lord's voice, perhaps like we used to. Oh, I'm not talking about an audible, clear voice from the Lord, but you open his word and there's just a dryness there. You attend Bible study or hear a sermon and you're not receiving as much as you used to. Oh, it's good to cry out to the Lord for wisdom. Father, is there some secret sin in my life that is prohibiting me from hearing from you? But at times, it is simply a trial where we are being called to walk by faith and to go through the motions even when the emotions aren't present. And Samuel here, before he even knew the Lord, was serving the Lord. And some would say it like this, that Samuel's openness to serving God would soon enable him to know God in a way that Eli's sons never did. And so Samuel did not yet know the Lord, but he would, uh, by the time this chapter is completed, and by the time his lifetime is completed, he'd be a man who knew the Lord very intimately, knew the Lord very well. And there's something about men who know the Lord. It's one thing to nod your head in agreement with a creed or with a line of thinking or a belief system. But it's another thing entirely to know the Lord personally. So the Lord, verse 8, called Samuel again the third time. Persistence from the Lord. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And so God persistently comes after Samuel. Finally, Eli gets the idea, oh, this is probably the Lord speaking to this young boy. And he gives him instructions on what to say. Go back, he tells him, lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Now, without belaboring this particular point, I think devotionally, it's good to think about the reality here that Samuel mistook God's voice for Eli's voice. And it is true that it is easy to dismiss God's voice as the voice of a man or our own thoughts at times. 
I think that there are moments where the Lord is attempting to lead us, to direct you. And you might have a thought. Something might stand out in God's word. And you might immediately wonder, is that the Lord or is that me? I found over the years that one of the practical tests that I can run when I'm asking that question is I would ask, would this be the kind of thing that I in my flesh would come up with? Or would this be the kind of thing that only God by his spirit would speak to my heart? But I think oftentimes we can dismiss God's voice as the voice of a man or the voice of our own thoughts. Our conscience can testify to us and friends can speak. And sometimes they might even be used by God to communicate on his behalf to us. Uh, but of course, God's word most strongly comes from his written word, his spirit, his messengers here on earth. And his word to us will never contradict his written word. But notice the directions here that Eli gives to Samuel. There's a word there that I think is so crucial. He says, you know, lie down. If he calls you again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. This is wonderful advice. Samuel was told by Eli to say, I am your servant. You know, I think in one sense, this is the way that we can hear the voice of the Lord, approaching him with an attitude where we are saying, God, we are merely slaves. We are servants in your sight. What that means is I will listen to you. I will do the thing that you ask of my life, for I am merely a servant. Now, if you're asking to hear from the Lord, yet you're unwilling to have a servant heart, why would the Lord speak to you? Why would the Lord direct your life if he knows that disobedience is the outcome of his revelation? And so the Lord came, verse 10, and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Now this is a fascinating moment here in the book of 1 Samuel because what we're getting is the behind-the-scenes interaction between God and one of his prophets. Quite often we'll hear from prophets in the Old Testament, but we'll simply see them in their prophesying. Here, we get an opportunity to see God deliver the prophecy behind the scenes to one of his future prophets, this young boy named Samuel. And really what he does here is he reiterates the prophecy that had been spoken to Eli by a man of God in 1 Samuel chapter 2, that the priesthood would be stripped from Eli's lineage and would be delivered to another. 
Now, in one sense, this would be fulfilled immediately through the life of Samuel. In a fuller sense, this would be fulfilled years later, about 130 years later, when David would take the priesthood from Abiathar and give it to Zadok. And in another sense, this would be most fully fulfilled in the line of Jesus Christ himself as he became our great high priest for us. But here this is a word not of hopeful promise, but of discipline and rejection and punishment for the sin that Eli had committed. And what was his sin? Well, in verse 13, God says, it's for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. So Eli was implicated in the crimes of Hophni and Phinehas. They committed blatant sins against God and showed no signs of remorse. And Eli you know, just kind of went along with it. He disapproved, but wasn't willing to lift a finger in any real sense of judgment or real sense of correction upon his sons. He should have said, listen, I have to operate in the fear of the Lord, not the fear of man, the fear of God himself, not the fear of my sons. And let the chips fall where they may, but I have to do what is right even if that means that I need to bring down swift correction and judgment upon my sons. And I think that if he'd done so, God would have rewarded him wonderfully. But here God is forced to remove this man from his position of leadership in the nation of Israel. He allowed sin to fester under his watch. Now Samuel heard that word from the Lord, and it says in verse 15 that he lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Notice first here that little Samuel wakes up in the morning and it's almost as if he's attempting to avoid Eli. You know, he opens up the doors of the house of the Lord. He begins the work of the tabernacle. He doesn't rush in immediately to the breakfast table to announce to Eli that he'd heard the word of God and that it was actually a word of judgment against Eli. It says there in verse 15 that he was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. You know, Samuel was blessed to hear God's voice, but that didn't mean that it was easy to hear God's voice. There was fear inside of his heart for having to deliver such a strong and harsh seemingly message to a man who was going to be disciplined by the Lord. And that fear put Samuel in good company biblically. Jeremiah, who came years later, 
would be exhorted by the Lord not to be afraid of the faces of those whom he had to prophesy to. Moses was afraid to carry out the mission that God had given to him. Fear is the natural response of the messenger of God. But there's a greater fear, a fear of the Lord. And the fear that we experience is not a fear that comes from, from God. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, that God has not given him a spirit of fear. As a pastor, as a leader, the spirit of fear was not from God. Instead, God had given to Timothy a spirit of power and love and self-control. And so this fear needed to be dealt with. But Samuel had a hard word to deliver. Notice also that Eli implores him, listen, tell me everything. Don't hold back anything. And indeed, in verse 18, Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. It would have been of no service to Eli if Samuel had held back the truth. He delivered all of it. And I think in an age where it's trendy and popular to act as if, as a preacher, you have so many doubts and so many questions and so many things that you're just not sure of. And, and it's almost trendy in this modern era to, instead of forcefully declaring what you know to be the word of God, it's almost trendy and more popular to say, well, you know, uh, it's speculative and I think there are other views and opinions and in the end, we'll find out, listen, sometimes that is the case. And sometimes that's wisdom to make that kind of declaration. But at other times, it's pure cowardice to hold back something that you know to be true from God's word. It doesn't help anyone. It only hurts everyone. Samuel delivered all of God's word. And Eli's response was very mature. He said, it's the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Eli had simply known that God must be moving on. He wasn't waking Eli up in the middle of the night. He was waking Samuel up. And so he agreed. He knew that this was the Lord. And Samuel grew, verse 19, and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. Absolutely beautiful. Samuel just growing up, the Lord with him, the Lord developing him, much like Jesus who grew in wisdom and stature. So Samuel grew and the Lord with him. And when Samuel spoke, the phrase that was used is that none of his words fell to the ground. Every word that he spoke had depth, had meaning. There was something real attached to it. The Holy Spirit was strong with Samuel and his words were pure and good. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. So from north to south, they all knew. The chapter started out by saying that there was a famine for the word of God in the land, that there was no widespread revelation. There was no prophetic vision. It was very rare in those days. 
But the Lord, verse 21, again appeared at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. I think that God was looking for a fresh new wineskin to pour his spirit and his word into. And Samuel was that fresh new wineskin, open, flexible to God's true and good and hard word for the nation of Israel. And so God began to speak through Samuel and influence generations in a wonderful way for God. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.